This is Mind the Gap, brought to you by Calgary First Church of the Nazarene. We welcome you into a deeper discussion about current issues that threaten to divide us. After the episode, go to firstnaz.ca slash podcast to continue the conversation. Today, we will be responding to some of the feedback we received from our first episode about religious freedom. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, I would encourage you to take a listen to that first before tuning into this one. Now, let's step off the pulpit and into the pews. So, we got some fan mail um, <laughs> from, our one, from our one listener. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't my mother. <laughs> actually, funny story. My, my mom, I did send um, a link to my podcast with mom and she, she actually listened to it. And, and she pointed out an, an inaccuracy. Um, Apparently, I've only lived in Bellingham for for one month instead of six months. So, oh wow, for fat checking my our, our podcaster. So, better get rid of that podcast then, because it has an inaccuracy in it. Well, I mean, if if you're confessing your sins right here, Ryan, I think I think Brian needs to absolve you from. <laughs> Be free. <laughs> all right so this was from dave falk a member of our, our congregation and and we all we all know dave um he's he's a, a medical doctor and has been practicing for a long time and we're missionaries for a while as well and uh he, he sent a very uh thoughtful and and just yeah really well written and thorough email i wanted to take some time to respond and um yeah, just, just engage with that. And so I'll, I'll start by reading a little bit off of it. It says, first off, it was a good podcast with great concluding principles and conclusions of the present situation. So good job, guys. Um, so it goes into here. So scripture does not say we need to submit to our earthly authorities. And if the setting of the pandemic, I would agree. But there is an underlying spirit of control which needs to be guarded against even in this pandemic situation. The other side of the coin, they are controlling us. Is correct. I just want to mention this was in reaction to the first uh, episode on on freedom. On freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so the sense of that there, there's there's an underlying spirit of control from from the governing bodies that we have to guard against. And then he, he mentions, I did tune into an interview at the beginning of COVID with a Canadian historian who sees this pandemic as a social shift away from religion and a shift to reliance on science. He saw the closing of churches, if done long enough, would lead to the demise of religion. Everyone would see the wonders of science controlling the spread of the pandemic through social isolation and ultimately vaccinations. And he's just lamenting that his comments, this um, person on the radio, uh, are indeed comments which are shared by a large proportion of Canadians. Religion is a no good and science is the cat's meow. Uh, you can see, find the underlying control issue in this pandemic. It conveys the spirit of our times. Right. You guys so uh, just not in reference to Dr. Falk's email, but uh, it's interesting. I got, I did actually get a response from the podcast, somebody who did listen to it. Yes, I did. It's a text message and I'll keep it anonymous and I haven't replied to this person yet. It's a wonderful person, wonderful Christian. Uh, this is what she wrote to me and I, I thought this would be interesting and she might, she'll probably end up hearing this. Uh, but she said, thanks for sending me, no, no, sorry, got the wrong one. She's got, uh, yeah, yeah. I listened to the podcast on freedom. And I resonated with some of it, except for submitting to leaders in authority. This is what she said. We are to pray for them, yes. But God says to submit to leaders who are submitted to God. Hmm. Not to submit to authority who are not submitted to God and walking in God's ways, lest you start becoming like them. So she's saying the Bible teaches that we are only to submit to authority that is itself submitted to God. Um, well, so there, I haven't said this story yet because I try to find the right way to, to say it. That's wrong. Because Romans 13 doesn't say that. It actually says the govern the authorities that have been established have been put there by God. And he was talking about the state. He was talking about the, the emperor. He's talking about Caesar. 
you know, um, and you render to Caesar, what is Caesar's? You know, you pay taxes to whom tax, revenue to whom revenue. First Peter chapter two, and this goes to Dr. Falk's point as well, but first Peter chapter two, which I've got here, uh, beginning at verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every, 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 every human authority, whether to the emperor, whether to the emperor, who was Nero, they believe at that time, as the evil emperor, you know, so whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, so he's talking about political leaders who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So Dr. Falk's talking about the foolishness of these arrogant people in our society, like whether it be, you know, secular leaders, the Supreme Court, the, the you know, whatever, who are making what we would consider to be unethical or immoral decisions. So he says, by doing good, we will silence their ignorant talk. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, as their doulos, right? Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then he goes on to slaves. Live in reverent fear of God. Okay, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, he's saying. Slaves to masters. Not just to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are harsh. And he goes on. Saying, so he's saying, here's a master who's not just. Here's a master who is not under the authority of God. Here's a governor or an emperor not under the authority of God. But you still submit to them. And we know that there's a line, like in Acts chapters 3 and 4 and 5, where they, they do resist the authority. But my, my, my response to Dr. Falk's, I mean, which I thought was a great, thoughtful email, and has brought us to this podcast, I thought was I felt like his concerns, and I, I've, he and I have talked about this, his heart breaks for a lot of these issues, uh, particularly the issue on assisted dying, um, euthanasia, you know. Uh, and he's got a lot of skin in the game, way more than I do. Like he's fighting the battle, you know, and he feels that it's a battle, I believe it's for justice, you know. Um, I feel like our underlying assumptions, at least that we were talking about in the that first freedom episode, were correct. I mean, I just read scripture here. And is, so there, is there a passage that you, that you think she'd be referring to? Um, that woman? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, and I was trying to think about that, whether she was, what she, because we haven't talked about it yet. I've been so busy. Yeah. Uh, but... I mean, Old Testament and New Testament, I, I, I don't see anywhere that we only submit to godly authority. That's not what the Bible teaches. Do you guys agree with that? I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I, would, I would agree with, with what you've said there, Brian. And I think the, and I mean, again, I don't want to put words into other people's mouths, but where I would find attention there uh, is, so yes, you know, Peter says that, and and Paul says this is Romans two. Peter says it in Peter, in his in his letters. But then you know we see in Acts, there there are those there are those moments where uh, I mean I, I don't recall off the top of my head like which chapter it is. I'm sure you do though. You know where that where they're commanded to where, where where Peter and John are brought before the and the the Sanhedrin and they're commanded to stop preaching in Jesus' name. Acts five. Yep. Acts five. Okay. And he says we will. You know we. we we will obey God rather than man in this in this situation, um, and in that situation, though it's interesting though because it's again um, that that particular uh, context doesn't translate very well to to our particular context because again we're in like a democratic society and uh, and we don't have and it's a religious democratic society. Whereas there, they were speaking to the Sanhedrin, and so they're actually speaking to to religious leaders in in that particular moment. Um, and saying, so sort of challenging the authority of of the um, of the religious leaders in that particular instance with that particular uh, uh, thing, which was you know preaching in Jesus' name. Uh, and so you know we could, I guess we could we could dig into that particular moment and say you know what's going on there. Um, is it because is it for religious reasons that these guys are asking? Uh, uh, 
Peter and John to stop preaching in Jesus' name, or it's also, or is it also sort of a, a political reason because they've, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees has, has struck up this compromise with Rome, uh, with a sense of, you know, we, we'll, we'll keep things, uh, we'll sort of maintain the peace as long as we don't rock the boat too much. I, can I say though, can, can I jump in there? Because I think it was probably both. I mean, they were concerned politically because they had sort of like favor with Rome, right? Mm -hmm and um and all of that and they were worried about causing a stir right and uh with this sort of you know uh, christian sect right and and all of that so i think it was but i guess what i'm wondering though and and i guess this is what i would want to say to dr falk it, i don't think we take our cues from the errors of the people who might be persecuting us mm. whatever their motives are is of no consequence I have to, st I'm still called to submit unless they tell me you must stop reading your Bible. You cannot pray to your God. So, uh, and, and, right. I, I, but that's I, I where I draw like the line. Yeah. I feel like that's the, that's the concern though, is that there is an agenda. And I think, um, you know, you know, Dr. Dr. Fox, you know, and I think there's a lot of people who feel this. There's an agenda just by like this, like secular, government secular media secular all of this yeah to, uh, like ultimately you know take down christianity and um you know destroy religion that kind of thing because we're better about it um and this is you know the first step in a, in a very slippery slope there is an agenda on the part of a lot of people for sure but to say that the pandemic that the alberta government saying you can't, you know, you've got to restrict your attendance and you've got to wear masks and all of that. And to say we're being singled out here and persecuted, that you can't make a moral equivalence. You, you know, it's not the same thing in my view. And that's, that's what I'm saying. But I do think you're right. I think there are people that would like to just get rid of us. Yeah. So, but, but, but I'm not sure that's it. Yeah. That, like, so, you know, and in Dr. Falk's email, he, he, he agrees, you know, with, with the whole COVID restrictions. And he stuff. does. Yep. He does. And yep. he goes on to talk about, you know, euthanasia and things like that, where, you know, where we're getting into yeah, yeah. topics. So like, is there, you know, how do we respond to the government that like, are we just supposed to yeah. them and, and go along with that? Like, how do we navigate that? So I, I, I mean, I think it's like there's this, there's several different things, issues there, though, right? So the first of all being sort of that that idea of the spirit of control, uh, mm -hmm. I think used, um, and you used Ryan, you used the term, you know, slippery slope. That it's a slippery slope once we begin here. We're gonna end up here. Uh, and the thing is, uh, we can use that the slippery slope as as a as a device for argumentation. But when you look at the, when I took, you know, <laughs> back in, in my undergrad, when I took uh, philosophy 101, just for fun. Uh, <laughs> for fun. <laughs> we, learned, we learned logic and argumentation was one of the, the core pieces of that. And one of them was learning about the different forms of fallacy when you're, when you're building an argument, when you're debating. And uh, so there's all these different types of fallacies uh, that are just logical problems in the way you're structuring things. And one of them was called, is, is the slippery slope fallacy actually, which uh, essentially the problem is that if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're making an argument that something will lead to something down the road, you're projecting into the future, right? And so- uh, the so frog, frog in the kettle. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and so in, in that case, the burden of proof is on the person making the argument. You have to make the argument that there is a really strong, that, that there really is a really, really strong case here to be made, that this will lead to that, will lead to that. Because there's often a whole bunch of different steps in between before you get to that final destination that, that you are uh, really worried about, right? Uh, the, and so when it comes to talking about, well, you know, this is one step in the direction of um, curtailing, ultimately, you know, trying to, to, to stop Christian worship completely, yeah. or to stamp out Christianity. I mean, that could be, it could be, but the thing is, you, you sort of have to make a strong argument rather than say, well, it's yeah. spirit of control. Or like, and, and it does stoke make... fear too, doesn't it? Like the it, fear and, that, and, and that exactly, Brian, and I think that's, that's the other piece is like, you know, we, we do need to be vigilant, sure, you know, be vigilant, right. but we should not be afraid, be fearful at the same time as well. 
because we know even even if that does ultimately happen uh, at the end of the day, um, we, I think you know we have to. We, we talked about this in, in, a, in a previous podcast. Like we know how this all ends. Uh, yeah, we, we know how it all ends in with you know new creation, all things being redeemed. Yes, we also know we also know that death is actually not the worst thing that can happen to us. That's true. Right? True. Sure. To, to you know, so if we can actually you know say with Paul to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Um, yeah, yeah. It shouldn't matter really at the end of the day, right? Right. Um, I agree. So, so I, I think really that's where the spirit of fear is something where, where I, I haven't fully teased this out, but I think we really need to uh, draw a, a difference. And I think that difference we can all often tip in one direction really easily between being vigilant and being, you know, being watching out and being careful yeah. uh, and being wise as, as serpents. Um, but like in, in terms of being as innocent as doves, like, you know, we should not be fearful about it and it, we should not let it. And, it, and, it and it's interesting you make that distinction, Shamal, because I think between vigilance and fear, I mean, there's, they say like, if you get on an airline after 9-11, September 11, 2001, people are getting on airplanes and they were way more vigilant. You know, you have air marshals, more air marshals, and you know, you look at someone and you, you think they look a little suspicious. So you might report them. You know, but they were talking about vigilance, not being fearful or, you know, kind of jumping off the deep end and going crazy, you know, with fear. But I think what's interesting with at Dr. Falk's um, concern about assisted dying or euthanasia is for him, like, I'm convinced like he's he, he's an example of someone he's not afraid of death. You know, he's not a, afraid of his own. I don't even think he's afraid of losing his own freedoms. He's perfectly willing to suffer for Jesus. Mm. He's concerned that for him, it's a justice issue. I think it, it's more of a justice issue. And so it would be, you, you need to fight on behalf of those who cannot speak on behalf of those who cannot speak for themselves, fight on behalf of those who can't defend themselves. Right. I think that's his issue. But what, what I'm concerned with, and I'm interested in what you guys have to say, but I, what I'm concerned about is I think we've gone to the point where maybe at one point, I, I don't know, like the moral majority back with Jerry Falwell in the 70s might have had some good, because I know like with abortion, it was like, okay, we're fighting for the defenseless here, the unborn. Mm -hmm. And so there's a compassionate route to that. Um, but then... I think it turned into something really political. You know, it, it, it wasn't so much driven by compassion. I think with Dr. Falk, I think everything that he's talking about is driven by, at least in, in the assisted dying case, it, by, by compassion. And, and there's also a bit of a slippery slope concern there, I think, with, with him perhaps, you know, where it might be leading. And that's why I would say that you know, those are actually like somewhat different things though. Uh, euthanasia okay. and uh, this idea of like the spirit of control of wanting to stop Christians yeah, from right. from uh, you know, like, like churches from meeting and existing like the, those are I mean somewhat different things. So in terms of the slippery slope of you know closing pandemic closures of of uh, regular in person gatherings because it's not the church that is being closed down. This is why I think we talked about this before and we need to talk about it again, right? Like it's not the church that has been closed down. Our, oh, our no. corporate gatherings have been have been prevented in that form. Right. But the thing is, there's so many examples of people who found creative ways to work within those, within the restrictions. And it's right, not right. just, I mean, digital is, is one way, yeah, uh, yeah. but there's other ways you can work around that too, right? Like meet in like smaller gatherings, yeah. do distance gatherings outside in smaller groups. And there's, there's so many other things we could do um, that, that still work within the boundaries of what's allowed. And Shamal, uh, they haven't told us what to preach. No, exactly. I mean, it's 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 not. It's that that's what they they haven't told us what to preach. They haven't told us to stop doing church. Right. They're just just the one form, really. Right. So correct. Uh, correct. I think going going with with the euthanasia side, yes, I I think that is absolutely. It is. It is a horrible. It is. It is absolutely not from. It is not from God, and it is. Uh, it, it is right. a terrible thing. But as I, I mean, and I said this in my response to to to, to Dr. Falk as well as like, um, I think it is also um, 
it is also a place where I think we as, as Christians uh, have um, fallen short is, is, you know, if people don't see, don't see like why, why life has any value anymore. Uh, that is not, that, that is not a default position of human beings, right? Because I think most humans have a sense of, you know, life is valuable and it is to be desired and we don't want to die. Um, but there has been in many ways, all these little decisions that have been made along the way uh, that have like steadily devalued uh, yeah. life in itself. I mean, and abortion being one of them, but I think other things as well, right? Like the way we treat uh, marginalized people, the way we treat the widows and the orphans as, as a society in many ways um, is, is another example of where we sort of, are we are we putting are we valuing life the same way that God does value life? Hmm. Um, and um, are we allowing everyone to flourish and thrive? Because I mean that's what Peter's definition of love is, right? In in I was reading Second Pe- Second Peter, uh, and he talks about like love being this the desire to allow uh, to to facilitate thriving uh, and this idea of shalom and bringing peace and wholeness, um, loving practice um, is that. Is that what we as, as, as a church body and as communities have been pushing for? Uh, and have we actually been embodying as well what, what a full life looks like uh, and what a living, like why life is worth living? Um, and I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't, I don't have full answers for these things, but these are the questions I think we need to engage with as well. It's interesting that you ask it that way, but like what life is worth living? Because I think we don't value all lives the same way. So, for instance, people may not value the unborn, like what they would call euphemistically the fetus, right? It's not when does it become human and when is it valued as a human life? And then you've got the person who is uh, dying uh, and maybe they're, they're, in, they're suffering, like they're suffering terribly. They, they, they're going, I'd rather be dead. I don't want to suffer anymore. I want I want the doctor to assist my dying, you know. And so, and then you've got um, people who have mental torment. They're in mental anguish. You know, Robin Williams, the actor comedian, took his life, and you know it'd be easy for us to sit in judgment on him and say, you know, like he lost hope or you know whatever. If he only had God. Well, the thing is, though, until you've been in his shoes to know what it feels like to be him, how can you say that? Because I, so I think the problem is one of like maybe sometimes we don't have the empathy and it's not because we're not compassionate. But I think like um, it's like somebody who suffers with terrible depression and anxiety and you just sort of, you know, there's a tendency to someday say, you know, just get over it. You know, look at the bright side. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, the sun is shining, get out there, you know, and we have no idea. And so, you know, we have to empathize. We've got to say, what, I wonder what it feels like to be that person. And here's the thing that I want to caution against. And it comes to Dr. Falk's concern about assisted dying. I don't agree with assisted dying and especially the way I understand it being used. Um, on the other hand, I don't want to say of the people that support that and do that to say that that they are bad people, that they're killers, that they don't care about or value. Maybe in their minds, they're, they probably have a great value for that person they want to help assist them to die. They're probably thinking, I love you. I see you suffering. You want to just, you know, and they're just, they're, they're thinking, oh, I want to help you to have peace. In their own worldview, they're being consistent with their worldview. And so they're, they're going, the most loving thing I could do is to help you to die. But let's not us villainize them or demonize them and call them the devil we could say you're wrong. There's a better way to look at this, but I think we, where we have to be careful is that we don't villainize them. That's great. That, you know, that's, that that's no, that's that's a great point. And I remembering that, like, not just I mean, with 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 euthanasia, but like a lot of these other issues that we struggle with as well. 
um, that ultimately, yes, there are people who might be perpetrating some of these things, but there are also um, there are deeper, sort of, you know, powers by that that, uh, that sort of are acting behind behind it. So you know, we we can condemn. I mean, I think in some cases, for sure, we can you know condemn people for egregious acts of of you know <laughs> murder and violence and things like that. But at the end of the, end of the day, a lot of this stuff is being driven uh, by forces that are sort of outside of uh, our sort of human consciousness. And I agree. Yeah, you know, like those dark forces that we we need to be conscious of. I think condemning those um, to begin with as well. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting, Shamal, is that I think, and I think what Dr. Falk's concern is, is, is not the individual person who has a family member who's dying and wants to die and wants to be, you know, wants to be euthanized. You know what I mean? Like, he's not coming after them. It's like, we don't go after the woman who's struggling with a, a, an unwanted pregnancy. We're not saying, let's go after her. We're, we're talking about maybe the doctors who perform that, or we might be talking about the legislators and, and stuff like that. Because I think what doctor, if I'm hearing Dr. Falk's heart, it's more that there's, there's, a, there's a more sinister agenda behind, like, say, assisted dying. Uh, and even the pro-choice people, like, there, there's, there's a more sinister agenda going on, not in the heart of the people who are personally struggling with it. Who are having like an existential crisis or something, but but the people who are in authority and misusing it, yeah, I think he's. I think there's a distinction there, and so I think he's right on that end of the argument where there are dark forces at work who are manipulating these people. time again to practice some spiritual disciplines. We've done a couple of these and I'd love to hear your feedback on this. Is it helpful at all? A waste of time? Are you just skipping past this section? I know for myself, I don't want to take time to be still or silent enough during my week, so I hope you'll join me in this. If you don't want to take part or want to find another time to do this, feel free to skip forward three minutes to get back to the conversation. This is an exercise that I learned from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, and it's a great one to start my day. Ready? Okay, if you can, start by placing your palms down. This symbolizes you turning over any concerns or anxiety you may have to God. As you do this, collect all your anxious thoughts and release them to God. Try to be as specific as possible. For example, I surrender my stress over a difficult conversation I will need to have with my sister today. I'll give you a minute to do this. Now, turn your palms up and think about what you may need from God in order to face these fears and anxieties. For example, Lord, I would like to receive your divine peace and help me to love my sister and see her the way you do. I'll give you a minute to do that.
If you need more time, feel free to hit pause and linger as long as you want in communion with God. When you're done, join me in this prayer. Lord, I bring the poverty of my soul to be transformed by your beauty, the wildness of my passions to be tamed by your love, the stubbornness of my will to be conformed by your commandments, and the yearnings of my heart to be renewed by your grace, both now and forevermore. Amen. That kind of leads me to, I guess, another point that that got raised in, in his email, um, and it's kind of about the decline of, I guess, Christianity in, in Canada and probably hmm. in general. He touches on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Small is correct in saying these uh, there needs to be responsibilities too, but the Canadian Char- Charter does outline some of these responsibilities. So we have a good document, but it's being interpreted wrongly. Preamble being under the supremacy of God is considered irrelevant to Supreme Court decisions, which means the Supreme Court judges' points of view have taken the place of God. And then he talks about the definition of self-determination, and then under the umbrella of God's supremacy, the definition was given through Scripture and the life of Christ. That is no longer relevant, and so the definition of self-determination depends on what the individual considers best for themselves, hence killing of the unborn and killing of the elder, one without consent, and the other without person's consent. In the general sense that, you know, Christianity, which was, you know, more prevalent and, and used, you know, in, the, in our founding documents and in our charter um, is now being pushed aside. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the thing with that is that, you know, language language is, is, is fungible. is <laughs> you know, one of those things that is... Uh, is like a, a vessel that gets filled by different people in different ways. And we've talked about this before, about how language is constantly evolving and changing. And the same word could mean one thing today and mean something very different uh, yeah. a few years ago and so on, right? And so uh, I think, you know, language is constantly being interpreted and reinterpreted in that sense. And so um, even the phrase, um, you know, under God, the, in, in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, like it doesn't say which God are we talking of, right? Uh, like, are we talking about Yahweh uh, or some person's conception of God? Because I would argue that, um, I mean, like the, uh, the U.S. certainly has 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 a deeper sense in there built into their foundational myths around being a Christian nation. Uh, and we don't really as much uh, in Canada. I mean, there are parts of Canada, like here in Quebec, that were explicitly founded by by you know Montreal, for example, was 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 founded by by missionaries. Um, but as a whole, like the Canada's founding story doesn't have an explicitly religious kind of theme built into it. Right. And I would also argue that uh, based on the, the way um, the nation, you know, the nation, the early sort of the early nation state kind of behaved in many ways. Um, I would say, well, yes, you could you could claim to be a you know a nation that has these principles under God, but but it's not the God of the Bible. <laughs> it's, right. It's sort of a weak interpretation of some you know watered down version of of, of Yahweh, maybe, but it's not that God uh, because yeah. we would not have done as a nation a lot of the things that we did. Um, I mean, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is a fairly it's a fairly recent document. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah. We, so yeah, I don't know. I I would say language is is one of those things that you sort of need to be cognizant of. Yes, phrases like that, and and then secondly, I think we're also you know we are a democratic, smaller liberal democratic society, and uh, we have consciously embraced pluralism as 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 a as a society. And so when you are living in a pluralist society, like I don't I don't know that you can necessarily privilege one uh, religious identity over 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 another right um, right and so because you're talking about well which god is it um even in in the united states i think it was more of a deistic idea i think in the u.s i don't even think it was necessarily you know yahweh you know god of abraham isaac and jacob i i don't know but i i don't think it was distinctly that and um 
And in Canada, you said, yeah, we don't have the same sort of origin story as they did in the U.S. And, you know, we keep going back to that to say this is who we were as a people. We've lost who we were. We've lost our memory. We've lost our identity. And I'm like, did we really? Because I think you're touching on that, Shamal, right? I don't know that. And is that a problem? Like, I just, to me, if there's injustice, as Dr. Falk's talking about, we should fight against injustice. Like, when I say fight, I don't mean, like, violence, you know, but we should speak out against it and do everything in our power to right what is wrong on behalf of the defenseless and all of that. But I think the problem is, is when that turns into you know, let's get Christian privilege. Like let's, let's elect Christians to office and let's get a Christian, you know, Christian legislators and Christian justices and Christian prime ministers and all that, because then they're going to get our nation back to God and we'll bring the kingdom on earth. I don't read that in the Bible. I think maybe the logic is more so, Am I off track? <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, what, what I've heard, the sentiment that I've heard is we have a correct worldview, right? Or we have a more correct worldview, like as we've already talked about. And it, it you know, it makes the most sense and the most, you know, flourishing would happen if this world worldview would be the dominant worldview um, in society. Right. And so we need we need that from the top. And, you know, if if our if our government all shares that same worldview and this is, you know, we, that's why we need to pray for them and send them Bibles and stuff, like, you know, and, and, you know, and get our people in there, then we'll we will have a more flourishing society. Right. That, I think that's the argument. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but yeah, and I, I, yeah, I think, I, I certainly that was that was this that was an argument that I grew up with, and that was my belief that I grew up with as well. Um, but something that really strikes me is, you know, if if that was the case, then why didn't Jesus come as Caesar? Ooh, right, like why wasn't <laughs> why wasn't Jesus born into the palace? Of oh. Caesar? why wasn't um and I mean, i'm not even let's let's forget caesar right because i mean that was 2000 years ago why isn't why wasn't he born into the white house um yesterday i just like, felt the earth shake under my feet when you said that that's <laughs> only, brilliant you know, like, okay like, why didn't why didn't he come because i mean you know the american empire now is like the most powerful has the most powerful military and is is the most powerful force still on, on earth really so if power was the guiding principle here ultimately mm. for bringing god's kingdom power as we conceive it in that sense of of sort of authority uh in in sort of ruling over the nations through policy and governance um being the way then you know mm. god could have done that but that's not how how he did it and so um i think that that way of viewing uh, bringing about God's kingdom uh, and uh, mm. here on earth mm. is 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 makes complete sense in, in our human understanding. Sure, the thing is that understanding has has not changed at all from no. the understanding that the Jewish people brought to bear when Jesus was right. doing his living on his ministry too. Right, I mean they expected a military Messiah, and right. there were there were people, there were Jew Jewish movements that actually tried to enact that and were quite successful. There were the Maccabees the Hasmonean dynasty that ruled for a hundred years, roughly before Jesus came on the scene, Judas Maccabeus was this Messiah figure that uh, as, as far as the Jews saw, were like fulfilling all these prophecies. Right. Um, wow. But ultimately that kingdom fell apart and nothing came of it. And now we don't even, <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't talk about, about right. Jesus, you know, the right. Exactly. And, and there were movements after Jesus as well uh, that did that. That was uh, Simeon, Ben Giora, someone like that. I've forgotten mm -hmm. the names, but there, you know there were at least a couple of major movements after Jesus as well. So the uh, zealots that you've mentioned, weren't they? They yeah. that was part of their. They were. They were. Yeah. They were. They were. They were sort of uh, uh, an ongoing movement out of which these people kind of came out of uh, as well. And so that whole idea of of, of I think military ruling policy uh, and human view of of, of governance was 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 completely not taken by by jesus and and right of how his kingdom 
was brought to earth and that is not how we were taught to that's not how he modeled and that's not what he called his disciples to either he didn't say go forth and you know conquer um right government right, right. well you know it's interesting you say this because you know you hear people say that um and again my 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 knowledge and history of this is pretty limited but this idea of setting up an islamic caliphate you know people say well that's what they want to do that what they want to do is uh and i've heard this in like sort of conspiracy theories about a lot of uh muslim people who are getting elected into a public office and people think okay what's going to happen eventually they want to get to the position where they could set up the caliphate you know and so but that's very similar to the same thing it's like the zealots wanted jesus to set up the kingdom on earth and and you you it's through military and political power and you flex some muscle and you make it happen and that's exactly what he didn't come for and so i love your thing is why didn't he come as caesar like that that was um because i really think that we've forgotten that i really do or we didn't know it at all is that um judas i've i don't know like you guys might know this i i somebody you know like judas i forget where i read it but he wasn't really a villain in the sense of he thought he was doing the right thing and he was probably one of these guys he didn't really get it he didn't understand death and resurrection he didn't understand the passion of christ like he didn't he didn't get that he thought he was going to maybe expedite things and it all went awry have you heard something along that line that his his worldview was probably more earthly um but i wonder if are are we more like judas are we more like we're impatient um you know and we want to do it in our human way like i still i still think we have to make that distinction with what dr falk is saying is i think yeah if there's injustices and there's real you know uh things unethical things going on and things that are harming people and taking advantage of people and and oppressing people we need to fight and speak against that but to think that let's get all the christians elected <laughs> and christian nationalism right yeah you know, that to me is just wrong-headed completely like it just we're back to that topic sorry about that yeah and and i mean brian you mentioned an article i just wanted to um to let our listeners know so this is a christianity today article um in may um and the title is proof that political privilege is harmful for christianity and it's like a really interesting lead read and i'd encourage uh people to take a look at it but it's 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 basically saying that you know the biggest threat to christian vitality is not persecution affluence education or pluralism it's actually state support uh, so. state support is a threat to thriving uh christianity real christianity mm -hmm. who was it which one of you sent that to us was it Shamal said that. Shamal, thank you, because that was riveting. Yeah. Well, and I think Ryan, you can you can share the you can share the link to yeah, it in, in the podcast it. as well, right? Feel to read. So, I mean, it's it's a scholarly paper that was written by some researchers, uh, religion researchers in Singapore, uh, and the the actual paper is available if you can get through the paywall <laughs> of the Journal of Religion and Sociology, which I I don't have access to to break through that that paywall, but. Uh, it is, yeah, no, it is a great read. And uh, it, it really speaks to, I think, some of the stuff we've talked about here. I think people need to read this. Yeah, this article, absolutely, this study. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, this the summary of, I, like like a really quick nutshell of that was this idea that, you know, if, if um, they look at the data and you see that the countries where there is, has historically been and continues to be state support in terms of direct subsidies, tax breaks. And I think we have some of that here as well, right? Oh, yeah. We, we, like, as much as we might bemoan the decline of Christianity, we have, uh, we have privileges that, are, I mean, I certainly didn't, but I didn't have, like, growing up in, in Sri Lanka, like, churches there don't have that, that level of privilege in terms of getting tax breaks uh, on property taxes and other things and being considered charitable organizations. And yeah, we don't, we don't pay taxes and we get, you know, charitable receipts. That's yeah. right. 
Uh, and so, I mean, that is that is a level of, of state privilege being given to to us there. And then when I lived in the Middle East, that's as true as heck was not <laughs> was not offered to, to to churches there. Right. Right. So I think um, we need to be cognizant of that when we're when we're talking about decline of, of, of the churches as well and say that in many ways we do have a lot of um, access to 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 privilege that that was not there has not been there and is not available in other places and that may, in many ways might be one of the could be one of i mean it's not the only reason uh but i think it is it is a major reason that we need to take into account when we're talking about uh calcification of 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 the faith uh and of our of our churches and the spread of the gospel and living out and and sort of bring you know living out kingdom lives uh, because uh, in many ways we know that we have like, lots of safety nets we can fall back on. So it's interesting, like when Constantine became a Christian, mm -hmm. it's not 312 or 325 AD. Anyway, 312, I think he did. And then 325 AD, he made it like the official religion. Everybody's like, wow, that is fantastic. Worst thing that could have happened. And history has shown that. And very similar thing but you know I, I just wanted to read a few because i wrote down some of the quotes from that study so it's got um in short it says christianity in africa as in asia is thriving this is like today not because it is supported by the state but because it is not supported by the state that's why it's thriving it's not supported by the state and then he says when christians perceive a threat stemming from religious minorities like other faiths and whatever they may look to the state to give them a leg up on the competition such privilege can include funding from the state for religious purposes special access to state institutions and exemptions from regulations imposed on minority religious groups. Paradoxically, though, the state's privileging of Christianity in this manner does not end up helping the church, according to our data. What happens is they Christians become engrossed in the things of Caesar rather than in the things of God to maintain their privileged stations. That really spoke to me. Yeah, and we don't pay property tax for our for our campus, and we have we have tax exemption. Like we uh, we can um, get we get tax receipt for charitable giving that you Ryan give to us. <laughs> yeah, and, and even clergy, right? You guys get a. a I get a clergy residence deduction, uh, where I can claim it on our tax uh, return. Um, what we pay on our mortgage and all that and it lowers my taxable income yeah and i think connected to that it is important to to look at the the flip of that so uh the flip side of that because the you know the author does mention this at the beginning of the of the article as well that he's uh looking at purely sort of statistical data uh, and that doesn't account for the movement of the holy spirit right? that's right so i think that's where that's where i think we need to come to as well in talking about um we, um, I think we, we've, we're in agreement that the, our, like the church in the church writ large in, in Canada, certainly in our experiences in, you know, in, where we live in is, is not what it, what it used to be in terms of its presence. And uh, it is losing its, uh, not just its sort of privileged position in, in, in society, but in many ways it is not, I would argue that, that, that we are, desperately in need of, of, of a revival because we're not living out our um, right. mandate the way that Amen. we have been called to. Right. And so um, it sort of comes to how we view moments like this. Uh, I, I mean, the pandemic has been a wake-up call. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, but not just the pandemic. I think just moments of crisis can be, can be really glaring, intense wake-up calls. Uh, we've, we've sort of become comfortable in our ways to say maybe it's time to to change and to to do to, 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 to do something different, right? And and often and I, you know there's that saying you know in 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 crisis there's often the seed of opportunity as well for for something different. Uh, and in order for you know in order for for trees to be in order for something to grow the seed needs to go into into the earth and to and to and to and to die in in one way. In order That's right. Yeah. And so I think. In, in this moment when we're uh, looking at 
what is potentially uh, a deepening crisis, really, a sense of crisis in the vitality of our churches, there is the, the seed of, of, of rebirth and, and, and mm. renewal in that as well. Wow. Uh, because it is, it, is, it, is, it is a wake-up call in the sense of, you know, we've been doing things a certain way. And so if those ways have not re- led to renewal, why would we keep doing the same things that, you know, a- have not Amen. Right. Um, and, and also an understanding that, and then I'm going to quote from this one author, Mark, Mark says, is his, Mark says is his name. He's an Australian uh, commentator and uh, pastor as well. Uh, he, you know, he, he defines revival as renewal gone viral, uh, which <laughs> I really like. Uh, it speaks to, I think, to our, to our social media age as well, that this idea of like renewal begins with, and, and it, uh, he, he talks about like a lot of these great moments of revival that have happened in our history. And if you look at Christian history of, of the last 2000 years of, 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 of church history, you see that constant cycle of, of, of renewal, revival, and then this great period of growth, and then eventual sort of flattening out and then calcification. And then this, the same cycle occurring over and over again. And so th- that it does happen. It has happened. And it, it always happens with people, with individuals who are being renewed, who, who then uh, uh, have spent this time uh, in deep formation, being formed into, into Christ's image. And then they uh, start bringing other people along in that journey. And then it eventually becomes this great moment of revival. But revival doesn't just happen like that. It, it often takes time. Yeah. It, it, it can sometimes be generational even, uh, where one generation begins that the process of renewal and then the fruits of it sort of are born, are born out in like a, a maybe, you know, 50 to 60, 70, 80 years later. But that cycle is, is built into uh, the history of our churches. And so yeah, it is. Um, we, we need to we need to see this moment as, as a moment in, in this moment of crisis we see it as an opportunity to to flip it around uh, and to uh, and to seek that that the time of renewal and, um, and and a couple other things that that Mark says actually has said that I really like when he was talking about this sort of renewal revival dynamic was uh, you know he talks about some of those um, movements. Uh, in our in our recent memory, like uh, he talked about the communist movement, for example, in 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 the UK and, and Australia, in the 40s and 50s, it was not large, it was very small, but it was a committed minority of people who were really really sold on this idea of utopia, uh, of a certain form of utopia brought about by human means, and so because of that, they were they were able to do some pretty huge things in terms of moving. Uh, policy forward and I mean we see some of the great society um, policies taken in the, in the states for example right like under FDRs under, under FDR, you know in the 40s and 50s uh, had a lot of those principles kind of came out of socialist kind of communist thinking and movements uh, and that that they were able to do bring about those great changes and 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 right. and, and, and um, you know move so many people because there was so much commitment and 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 they were really sold and they didn't have a lot of resources at their at their command in terms of you know money but they were still able to make great changes and so right. I think we can we can learn from a lot of those movements in terms of yes. uh, of our churches as well and church vitality and that it just takes a committed minority of people to uh, to flip that script of you know we're not a beleaguered minority we're a committed core uh, who, that's right who are committed to moving towards uh personal renewal that will lead to corporate revival along the way as well and so um i love that quote about renewal no revival is renewal on steroids no that's not what he said Uh, gone gone viral viral. (laughs) sorry i was being making a bad joke there but anyway at the end of that article on uh, why christian privilege you know is counterproductive this is what he says. Our research suggests the best way. Our research suggests the best way for Christian communities to recover their gospel witness is to reject the quest for political privilege as inconsistent with the teachings of Jesus. In doing so, they would show that they take seriously Christ's promise that no force will be able to prevail against His church. And rejecting privilege will make believers more reliant on the Holy Spirit to open hearts to the gospel message. Mm-hmm. Trust in God. 
Yeah, and I mean, it is that commitment, but it's also, you know, the political privilege that that we've been sort of discussing. It, it really flies counter to taking up our cross and following Jesus, right? It does. And over and over again, uh, we see in, certainly in the New Testament, this uh, theme of participating in, with, you know, being a disciple of Christ means participating in his life and his ministry, but also participating in his suffering as well. That suffering is inevitable. Amen. And, um, that it is part of what it means to be a disciple too. And so um, that flies counter to, to to being in positions of power and authority, right? Well, Paul, Paul said, you know, when he was talking about his life as a Pharisee, you know, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees, you know, and circumcised on the eighth day and look at the I studied under Gamaliel. And then he said, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he talks about, you know, I want to know him in his suffering and his resurrection and in his suffering. Right. And one more thing to add to that as well. I think like in terms of opportunity right now, right. I mean, yes, crisis uh, with the pandemic, but I think we're also at a moment where uh, we've been, tracking this for decades now, uh, declining trust in institutions. So yes, uh, the, the church is in decline, but so are all other institutions. The yeah. only institution uh, in Canada in the last 25 years that has seen a bump of like, uh, you know, trust or public confidence going up has been the military, which is, you know, that, that, that there's something else too. But, uh, you know, every other institution has just dropped, has bottomed out in people's Trust and confidence. So I think, in that, I think it's it's seeing that all institutions have have failed. Yeah. I, I view it as having failed people. So within that is is again the opportunity to, uh, because so many rugs have been pulled out of uh, out of out of our sort of human imagination. I think because if you look at even uh, you know that phrase that I, I keep hearing it all the time, uh, you don't you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Right. People say that a lot, which is. Inherent in that in, in that in that phrase is this idea that history is somehow progressing towards this grand final event where everything is utopia, which is you know both I, I think many you know secular people are fully sort of bought into that, and that is what we see with the progressive sort of any sort of progressive agenda is trying to move towards achieving that utopia finally, uh, which in many ways is this idea of trying to achieve the kingdom without the king, right? That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah, because that whole idea of, of history progressing towards towards this grand final utopia has its roots in, in Christian thought, right? Of of uh, of of, esch of sort of this eschatology of like we're moving towards well, this sense of Ephesians one ten. Shamal says that where everything will be summed up in Christ on that yes. day. Yeah, yeah, and, and so that that and that is true, but it's going to be in Christ, not because of political muscle or. Or human effort, right? And, yeah. And human effort. And so, I mean, if you look at all these great movements throughout uh, human history, like a lot of them, all these utopian movements, utopian thinking and philosophy has, has always tried to uh, figure out, okay, we just need to do this and this and this, and then we will be able to achieve this for the perfect sort of humanity uh, where everything is just working in right. harmony. Right. But we need to somehow increasingly post enlightenment. We've been, uh, you know, Jesus and and you know, uh, the the Christian narrative is being marginalized because that has been viewed as being well. That's been tried, and it has failed. It didn't work. So now we need to move on from that. Uh, but we're in this moment where I think, and most of us would look at would look at that. I mean, certainly for me in my last. Uh, you know, my 35 years, it just feels like every few years there's it's been some crisis or the other, crisis of human failing and crisis of human institutions right. um, perpetrating, right? I mean, like we've seen two of three major stock market crashes in our 35 yep. years, in, in my 35 years. Uh, we've seen, you know, 9-11. We've seen yep. genocide after genocide happening in spite of all these great movements being made towards uh, yep. enshrining human rights. They are happening and they still continue to happen to this day. We can't uh, stop evil. We can't stop evil and you know, civil wars and like worsening crises in terms of, uh, you know, natural disasters, all these like supposedly hundred year events that have been happening with like increasing regularity over the last 20 years, right? And so I think that that sense of crisis is deepening for most of us and we're in this sense of, 
uh, of often of, of, of we don't really know what's up and down anymore because like all these stories that we've been brought up with this secular narrative of like well we progress towards uh, to to we will finally progress towards this like you know human utopia if we just enact the right policies if we elect the right yeah. person if we bring about the right right, right. Philosophical principles if we get rid of religion and so on like all those things have been tried and they've all failed miserably right uh, and so <laughs> where we're sort of at the, at the time where which is why i think a lot of it's so easy it's so tempting to 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 elect people like trump like uh, all these you know strong men that we seeing being elected around the world uh, who who provide easy answers to to complex mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. and don't don't engage with any of the broken history in the past and just say you know just trust me i can fix this and so it's tempting to just be like you know what yeah let let this guy fix it um because i think most of us are just uh, tired and just want uh want want to be sort of out, out, out of this constant sort of mode of crisis, yeah. one crisis after the other uh and so in that we have this opportunity to 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 point to the the, the to that christian narrative again and this uh i agree you that you know you know this the good news here is that our sins have been forgiven and we have eternal life and death is not the end but the good news is also that in spite of all these horrible things that are happening around us that uh someone is in control and has Amen. actually won the final victory and is in charge of the world uh as as king and is actually and he's sovereign over history sovereign over history he, he's, he's moving it he's moving he's history moving towards, yeah. absolutely he's moving it towards that like new creation where everything will be um but you're not saying yeah. though you're not saying though because of that because god is sovereign and he's sovereign over history and moving it to you know the eschaton you know the, the last things that therefore we just take our hands off and we have no responsibility i know you're not saying that no i mean we're called to participate in that like that that's that is a that is the vocation that that humans were given right the creation right. call is uh is to join god in that act of um you right your kingdom on on earth as in heaven right we pray that because we are called to not just sort of mouth the words, but to join him in that act. And so Ephesians has a lot to say about that because like in Ephesians 3, he talks about the administration of grace. You know, he used that idea of uh, oikonomos or oikonomia, you know, where he talks about the administration of God. And we're part of that administration. But the problem is, I think the misunderstanding today is people have misunderstood how we participate. Because we are, like you said, I, I agree with you. We're called to participate and cooperate with God in his, you know, eternal, his divine agenda. But the problem is I think we, we've often gotten it wrong on exactly how we should participate. And at the bottom of it all, and I was reminded of this in a discussion with our staff yesterday, it's, it's got to come back to love. Mm. Love for God and love for neighbor. I mean, if, if the world out there is looking back at us and they don't see that, if they don't see a devotion, a genuine devotion to God through Jesus Christ and a genuine love and affection one for another and for our enemies, then we have no message. We have no message. And I, I mean, so what you're saying, and I agree here as well, Brian, is that the Beatles actually got it right. All you need is love. <laughs> but it's, but, but, but it, I mean, it is it is true in the sense that it is like the biblical, like the really deep biblical definition of love that's not just defined, but is yeah. lived out by Jesus and the apostles and the apostles afterwards as well, right? Um, of, yeah, you know, it's not just just a feeling, but it is so much more. It is, yeah. uh, it is looking out for the well-being of others. Amen. Participation Amen. in shalom in, in bringing. Back Amen. And flourishing fathers. Amen. It is, patient, it is kind. It is long suffering. It is all of those things. It, it, you know what? We could just go on till midnight tonight because we just keep building off each other here. Because I was thinking as well, you know, because you look at John the Apostle, he wrote like First John, which is all about love. Yeah. Like it's a lot about love. Love, right? Love. But then he also wrote Revelation, mm. where there's the horrors, you know, of, uh, you know, and, and, of the last things that are going to happen on earth and God's judgment and all that. But, um, yeah, I was going somewhere with this. Oh yeah. But Paul says, 
our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is mm-hmm. Ephesians 6, right? But against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he says, put on the full armor of God. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not those other people out there. Like, we got to remember that. So if I'm mad at a political leader, if I'm mad at, at a, a, an abortion doctor, or I'm at, mad at a doctor who's doing, you know, assisted dying, I have to, I still have to fundamentally remember, we need to fight against evil mm-hmm. and, and, and those, you know, immoral acts. But, but at the same time, we have to still love those people. Mm-hmm. And even when we're speaking truth to power, we still have to know that it's got to be rooted in love. And, and I think we forget that and that the enemy is not the people, they're, they're captive to the powers of evil and they work evil, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And there are spiritual forces at work in our world that we need to fight spiritual battle. Second Corinthians 10 verses three to five, where he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They're not carnal. But he said, you know, we, and then he said, our battles are divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. And he says, we take every thought into captivity to Christ. We fight a battle for the mind and the heart of people. And I think that's where the, where the battle is. It's not this political battle. Yeah. It's a symptom, but not the... That's a symptom. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Brian and Small. That's great. Um, and thanks to Dave Falk for... Uh, your email. Hopefully, we didn't uh, misrepresent you. Well, maybe we'll have to invite him to come and uh, speak. Yeah, you can come on and defend you on. Yeah, that's right. You, you can write us a scathing email and come on our podcast here. But uh, yeah, thanks to everyone for joining us today. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a good time and maybe even learned or were challenged by something. We know there's so much more to cover and acknowledge there are many other great perspectives and questions out there and want to hear from you. Go to firstnaz.ca slash podcast. Click on the episode and scroll down to the bottom. You can leave a comment or question there or send us an email at mindthegap at firstnaz.ca. Now, let's go make Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and passion for people.